We're We the People. And we're recording from the occupied territory of the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi people. Or what you probably know to be Chicago. And the Chumash, Keech, and Tatavian people. Or Los Angeles. Guess what? We're all on stolen land. Take a second to learn whose land you occupy. And take meaningful, direct action to decolonize and restore these lands to their rightful stewards. Action items and resources can be found in the link tree on our Instagram, at We The People Present. Are we the people? <laughs> That's what you're listening to, in case you forgot. Yes. I'm Dana. I'm Asia. <laughs> I'm Lionel. <laughs> I'm Tina. Oh, we can always tell by how generous we're going to be today, but how slow it takes us to say our names. We're like, go. No, you go. You no, go. you go. No, you go. <laughs> uh, what's up, everybody? Um, I'm going to start this off because um, I'm so excited. We have a guest with us. Yay! Um, so my, my good friend Leanne, my Leanne. Um, she is, I'm going to brag about her because she doesn't brag about herself. She's a, an incredible actor, a writer, a justice seeker, a ferocious empath in her words. Um, we met doing a show called We Live in Cairo. And before that, she was on the Broadway doing the band's visit. Um, I am constantly in awe of her and I'm so happy that she's here. Um, yeah, so that's that's the that's the spiel. We're gonna get into our round robin now, and then we're going to talk about our bigger subject, which is why we have Leanne on the show today. So. Welcome, Leanne. Hi. Yes, we are so glad you're here. We did it? Yeah. Look at us having guests. We have guests. Oh my god. Our best. <laughs> <laughs> oh, our round robin today is hot, y'all. <laughs> the question is. If you were an influencer, what would you be an influencer for? I Lionel. just got so nervous. Oh my god! <laughs> you set me up so hard. Um, my eyes are bulging and I'm sweating. I would be an influencer of uh, skincare. I <clears throat> here's the thing. People always say black don't crack, but that shit cracks if it's dry. So, <laughs> I, uh, you have an addendum um, to that. <laughs> okay, I shall not be the test trial version of what that looks like. Ooh. So, I do. I love skincare, y'all. Like I exfoliate, I scrub, I do the masks, I do another coat. I I just feel like skincare is. You can learn a lot about good skin. Like if I'm on a date with somebody and I want to like know who they are without asking i'm just gonna like look at what their hands look like i'm gonna look at that neck i'm gonna look at that forehead and i'm not judging wrinkles i'm saying like because i love smile lines but i can tell when the shit's dry and when you don't wear sunscreen so i would say skincare me yeah yeah i second this lionel this week like i had one skincare question and lionel came back at me with like a full regimen he was like i want you to try this and then this and then this and this is what this will do and i was like Okay, I guess, I, like, I'm ready to be, like, gorgeous now. Thank you, Lionel. Yeah! Like, I wanted Tina to share her shipping information with me so I know when she started so I can hold her accountable every day to it. So, <laughs> that's where we're at. Oh, 
amazing. How many moisturizers do you use at the end of your routine? Daily? Yeah, like morning routine. Oh, and then the morning routine, three. I have a serum, I have a vitamin C serum, and then I have a moisturizer with SPF included. So that's three. Oh. It's like ordering one drink but putting three shots in it. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Tina. Oh, no. <laughs> I, this was the question that I came up with. So I, I feel like every time I come up with a question, I don't ever have a good answer. Um, so I need to do better about that. But I think the thing I would jokingly be an influencer for is like watching the same episodes of TV over and over again. Um, because th- that's just like how I live my life. I've seen every episode of Bob's Burgers upwards of like 20 times. I've seen every episode of Great British Bake Off at least 50 times. Like I could tell you what everyone bakes. I could tell you who wins, who goes home, like what, who had a soggy bottom. I could tell you all of it from memory. Um, Tina can tell when you have a soggy bottom. I, I know it is my area of expertise. Um, but it, it like for real, for real, if I, I, I don't want to say like vitamins. Cause I feel like that makes people think like I have a brand of vitamins that I use. No, I just mean like I take so many vitamins on a daily basis that I feel, and I like do so many like homeopathic remedies for shit that like that's 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 what I know the most about <laughs> so I guess like I'll teach you how to make uh, a ginger tea and which vitamins to take for which you know bowel ailments you have <laughs> I just want to say I really am enjoying the background music of your radiator I think it's my radiator <laughs> I was like what is that sound I'm like sitting over here I'm like I haven't even talked yet oh my god my radiator is oh jeez. anyway that's mine Leanne what about you oh my gosh uh, well, first of all, you both have inspired me now. And I'm like, I could have come up with a way more appropriate answer for this. Um, <laughs> no. But the thing that I thought of is if I was like an influencer for anything, I would want it to be something along the lines of like ethical urbanization. Like I'm very oh. fascinated with urbanization and the way that cities are planned and created and naturally expand and like the ways in which when urbanization happens and things expand too quickly like things fall through the cracks, et cetera. And those tend to be like the most marginalized people around us. So I I don't know how it would be entailed or what it would entail, but it would be something along the lines of like creating city spaces that are safe for everybody. Oh. <laughs> Me and Lionel over here are talking about our poop. So that's our, our skin. <laughs> that's our podcast. I'm over here like talking about a date and like, <laughs> you're like, I want to change the world. Like, and like we should have we should have housing for every human person and it makes no sense that people shouldn't have a roof over their heads but you know what <laughs> here we are <laughs> America, America. Oh, I hate it here uh, um, I might be the anti-influencer I don't know what that would look like but I would sure you try did? yeah me? On <laughs> me I would just point out all, how awful capitalism is and how fucking terrible everything is I'd have like one follower <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot. It would be me. I would be your one. Yeah, follower. Tina would be my follower. You're yelling at capitalism. I am there. You're like an influencer critic. I know. Oh, oh, that's what I could do. I could, but then I feel like I would just feed into my pettiness, and I try not to do that. But I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah, I know. 
She's she was she has been out in the year of 2020. Um, I pour I pour into her. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's me. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Critique of influencers. That's probably where I would be at. And they would tell me I'm shaming them all day, and I'd be like, well, stop being a fucking shitty human, and I wouldn't have to shame you all day. Asia? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I thought of so many things, and they're all bad things. It's like, if you need someone to go to to learn how to kill your plants, I'm your girl. <laughs> if you need to go somewhere to find out how to lose everything, can't find my keys, can't find my phone, can't find my whatever, I constantly am asking Josh where I where things are, and they're usually right in front of my face. So if that feels like something you would need in your life, I would be that person. Maybe it would be like maybe of chaos, would, maybe, influencer yeah. of chaos. Hashtag chaos. Maybe to make yourself feel less uh, absent-minded, that's what my influence would be. Yeah, like you would like have pictures of you with like glasses on your head and say like I couldn't find these for two hours or yeah. like. <laughs> like today, I was running around and I was like, Josh, where's my phone? And he like looked in one place and was like, Oh my gosh, Asia! And it was on the charger, <laughs> like right next to me, and I was like. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so there you have it. We did it. Oh, great segue. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, all of our answers are like kind of about helping people. Like Asia's is helping people feel better about their absent-mindedness. Yeah. Dana's is about helping people be secure in their individuality. Mine is about helping people poop. Lionel's is about helping people skin. And Lance is just like, oh, we should help all people. Period. <laughs> people deserve housing and basic necessities. Right. What well, kinda comes from this HBO doc, not to get like too crazy off left, but there's this show Dana was telling me about called Fake Famous on Ugh. HBO, if y'all haven't seen it. They like take three people essentially who are not famous and they build them into becoming huge influencers. And oh, it's no. fascinating. <laughs> Their conversation, I know, right? This shit's wild. And they made two quotes that I was like, yo, what the fuck? It was like, a million people have a million followers. So does that make all those million people famous? And a hundred million people in the US, this all US, have over a hundred thousand followers. Does that make them famous? And like this idea of like, what is famous now? Because it's like fake and you can buy bots. But if you hit this caliber, you're now famous. It was really fascinating. And they took three people and like did the whole process with them. Yeah, that that one dude I loved who was just like, I don't want to do this. This this is fucking stupid. This is fake as shit. I don't want to do this anymore. And I was like, that that's me. I love you. He was like, <laughs> I, would, I would very much like take, I don't know, 100 real followers over... 10,000 fake ones. And I was like, yeah, man, what are we doing? And we're just being like vehicles for capitalistic bullshit. Capitalism. Like, yeah, that's all that this is. And it's just yeah. like the one the one thing that I find that is really heartwarming to me and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but like how um y- the younger generation are able to see themselves, especially like, you know, people like me who are Arabs who actually get to see other Arabs embracing who they are and embracing their culture and embracing all this shit like Depka TikToks and like stuff like that that's fucking cool and I think that visibility would have taken a lot longer like me it would have taken a lot longer to see this stuff um and now kids get to see it on their phone and that's pretty cool yeah that's a positive but 
to spin us into today's topic, I do want to say this in terms of this conversation and what you just said. It's really interesting what a society of people do when they base their vulnerability in the protection of government. So meaning like we are leaning into the government to dictate like, hey, you set up social media, like you fund companies that pay into me having more followers and you pay into companies that pay into me being an influencer, essentially saying like, if it were wrong, you would stop it. And there's mm -hmm. a disconnect between like furthering myself as a human and believing that a structure is there to bounce off of like an adult or a parent and it's not in place correctly. It's actually yeah. funneling into my own trauma and making money off of it. And I think that's that in itself is a wickedly fascinating concept. It's destructive, but it's like, it feels a lot about like what we're going to talk today. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That seems like a segue to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are are shifting to, Leanne is, is our guest today because we're shifting to... Um, talking about Palestine and I, I've mentioned this before um I am Palestinian part Palestinian part Jordanian Lan is also Palestinian um and we uh are both activists in both uh, you know American politics but also in visibility of Palestine and um I think a conversation that I have frequently with a lot of people is what happened where is Palestine today? I feel so uh, lost. I don't know where to go or, or how to start this conversation. Um, and sometimes the opposite of that is, uh, you know, fuck Palestine. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to feed into that. We're going to feed into the opposite. And if you are here, I hope you are here to listen and to learn and to... Um, possibly hear a side that you haven't heard from yet and I think this is a really interesting um I think this will be interesting because my friends here um are all people who are marginalized in the states who want to learn more and have confessed to me that um they're here to learn more but they maybe don't know a whole lot about it so I think this is a really cool way to start this conversation because I think a lot of people are in the same boat so it's a long winded way of saying welcome to the introduction of Palestine buckle up buttercup buckle <laughs> 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 up motherfuckers <laughs> can I start by asking either of you both of you what what is going on like when you say Palestine just on a bare bones level like what is happening in Palestine well, um, there are four major things to know in this moment. The first is when we say Palestine, um, we are talking about Palestine. And also when I'm talking about this group of individuals, Israel as well, because there are Palestinian citizens of the state of Israel. Um, so there are Palestinians currently living under blockade in the Gaza Strip which is the westernmost portion of the land that we're talking about. They have been living under a military blockade, uh, no one in, no one out, for, what is it, 15 years, Dana? Around 15? 16 mm -hmm. years? Uh, I guess 2004, yeah. Um, there are Sorry, Palestinians. I was drinking water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone threw her under the bus. Uh, there are yes. Palestinians living in the West Bank, which is the eastern 
small portion of that land that we're talking about who have been living there um, and are either from there or were expelled to there in 1948 when the state was created. So those are Palestinian people living in the West Bank. Some of them are from that land and some of them are actually from the land we're talking about that is Israel. And then there are also Palestinian citizens living in Israel. And the fourth the fourth is um, Palestinians living in diaspora. That includes one and a half million Palestinians still living in refugee camps, uh, as well as uh, millions and millions of Palestinians and their descendants living around the world, of which Dana and I are both. Yeah, I think that's roughly seven million. It may be more now. Um, yeah. But Palestinians and their descendants. Um, so... That is sort of um, what is happening when we say what's happening in Palestine um, and what is happening actively uh, to Palestinians. Um, the reason that I think it's confusing is like, you just heard me say that and you're like, wait, what? There's like four different places? What's happening? Um, and it is confusing. And I think a lot of people get confused and they hear one thing or another and then you get the the demonization of Palestinians as like a terrorist group en masse. And then people just sort of check out um, and don't know that there are still millions of people living in, you know, camps. You know, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I made a face just now and it, it was definitely like, wow. But I think what I was wowing was more that there's so much of Palestine that is stripped away in my opinion. Like every time I'm, I'm, I listen, or I hear about Palestine, it feels like it's one singular group of people. And therefore like that group of people is allowed weirdly to be like given different kind of um, opinions or like ostracized in a way. So like hearing you say so many different groups, it's like, it's the way which I think about our country right now where we isolate certain groups of people out to the side and we are like, oh, well, like we can feel this way about this amount of group of people because this is what they look like. So now we can be like, if they look like this, separate them. So like that just blew my mind, like the breakdown of that. Yeah, it's really uh, incredible that I think when it's easy to speak about people as a monolith, mm. right? I think that's that part. when we're talking about uh, groups that are marginalized and also when we remember, like, we are all... Actually, I don't want to presume this. Are we all Americans talking? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, uh, in America specifically, you know, America, from a political perspective, does not have allies. America has interests. And it has always been in America's best interest to be allied with uh, the occupation and uh, the supporting of the monetary support of the state of Israel from a military capacity. Um, and so I think the reason a lot of Americans don't know these things is because we're not supposed to know these things. Yeah. And with, um, with the insurgence that has been Palestinian activism, with one of the only good things that has come from social media, which is uh, documentation of daily life of Palestinians and how unbelievably uh, hard the struggle is, uh, I think we are now seeing a turning point, or at least I hope a turning point for a lot of uh, a lot of American progressives across the spectrum, regardless of your race, regardless of your religion. There are people all over America that are standing up for the rights of Palestinians um, and turning this into more of a rights-based approach. 
So often people just talk about um, the geopolitical aspects. Oh, this happened. Well, this happened. Well, what about this war? Well, what about this accord? Stop. There are one and a half million Palestinians still in refugee camps. Why are you not talking about those people? Why are you talking about being right? We have to focus on these people. We have to focus on the Palestinians that have to put in four extra hours every day of traveling to and from Israel with their work permits through the apartheid wall or through the separation wall, as it's referred to. Um, we have to stop allowing for the, um, the unfair treatment of Palestinian workers, Palestinians who go to Israel, work in Israel, get taxed in Israel, and then have to go back to Palestine and pay the Palestinian authority there. And to not get vaccinated on top of that. Yeah, and, Jesus. And to not be vaccinated on top of that because the argument is one country shouldn't be responsible for another country's vaccines, but the state of Israel has been occupying Palestine since the 67 war and from a legal perspective is responsible for the vaccination of Palestinians, especially when you have so many Palestinians who are forced essentially to work in Israel. And the thing is, is you have so many people uh, mixing together from a work perspective and a culture and travel perspective that it actually is in the best interest of all people, all right. Israelis, you know what right. I mean? Like to not vaccinate Palestinians and then it's have an those Palestinians virus. come into the country. You are, you're putting so many old elderly Israelis at risk for no reason. So that's sort of the the long and the short. Yeah. It, so I think what's difficult to grasp a lot of the time is exactly what Lan said: is the, the the geopolitical aspect gets wrapped up, and we focus on that, and and we forget that these these people are oppressed. They don't have rights. They if if you literally just like had a camera and fought like like mayor we talked about mayor, mayor which is a documentary about the mayor of Ramallah it was a very very good documentary um, oh. just basically just showing the life showing the life of what it is to be a mayor of Ramallah under occupation and that is something that is simply just never shown and we'll and... link up the documentary so if you would like to highly recommend yeah this excellent documentary yeah um it, it it we get so wrapped up in the the politics of it that there are so little like documentations like the mayor like like the mayor document documentary of just what it is to be oppressed and what it is to be under occupation and what it is to not have rights and why is it okay why is it politically okay for this group of people to be treated that way like, just from a basic empathetic point of view, why do we view this as okay? Yeah. And I think that's a bigger question, too, that we can talk about. But part of it is, even the up until recently, even the progressives and the liberals in this country were politically tied to Israel. And because of that, they thought it social, or, or rather political suicide, because, you know, a, Senators and House representatives, they are in it to be reelected, right? Mark Lamont Hill said this incredible thing. He said, you know, they are thermometers and not th are, mm, thermometers and not thermostats. They're taking the temperature of the room, but they're not changing the temperature of the room. Mm -hmm. 
even like, you know, even uh, up until recently, up until our squad, right? Up until, you know, Jamal Bowman and and um, Rashida Talib, like people like that. Now we're trying to, to like now politically as a country, we can see that it's not as much of a political suicide to side with Palestinians. Wow. But why? Why history? Not as much, but let's let's be honest. It still is. Why historically? Why was it that it it was that way for so long? And that's a bigger political question that we have to ask ourselves too. But that's where we're at now. We are in. We are gaining. You know, social progress, political progress is not a straight line. You know, uh, and so I say this with hesitation, but. You know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, people like that were able to say Palestinians deserve rights and they weren't politically um, destroyed for it. So that's. <laughs> and 15 and let's be very clear, 15 years ago, they would have been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's the thing that I'm so excited about and yeah. that we're talking about and people are open to it across this political spectrum. People are open to it and and dana i also want to like chime in on what you said and it's not like it's not a it's a matter of semantics it's not even a matter of siding with one or the other that's not what that's not what we're saying we're dealing with the reality of the fact that we have one land and we have this these people are there okay me personally and many of the most progressive uh frontline activists on this issue are not saying only Palestinians and we're all going back and then everyone else who is Israeli can't live there. No, we're saying everyone lives there right now. Right. And only some of those people have the rights that they need to have and are, and are deserving of for being human beings. And there are so many Israeli organizations on the ground continually advocating for justice for Palestinian people because... Yeah they see that justice for Palestinians means justice, justice for, for everyone in the land. Right. Um, there are some incredible organizations that are doing that work. This is so interesting because it's it's blowing my mind how close Palestine, Palestine is and the issue going on there and Black Lives Matter going on here. And this idea of, you said it earlier, Leanne, about power dynamics and the idea of like who has a gun and who doesn't and even having to wait four hours to get into a country there's a human it's, it's like a human rights issue is really what we're boiling down to like the root of everything going on is this dismantling of an entire human race and if we're able to colonize them as less than then like we win like it feels like it's a huge conversation going on right now about right and wrong versus just basic human rights given to a group of people. Black Lives Matter is became global, at least in 2020, quickly. I mean, by the end of the summer, there were protests all over the world for Black Lives Matter. And I, I don't see the same for Palestine. And I think one of the, from the mayor documentary, one of the um, most impactful quotes that I wrote down was the mayor saying, the worst thing is that we think the whole world can't sleep because they're worried about us. Please, man, nobody is. And that was like the most heartbreaking thing is that like these people, like your people are in Palestine, just like 
thinking like people have to care about this, right? And they don't. And the way politics has been structured, it's like not, not only are people not worried about it, they are actively like, whether intentionally or not, prejudiced against Palestinians. They're like literally invested in continuing that oppression. Mm-hmm. Financially, in the military, like it's it's deeply entrenched in the way not only this country's set up, but so many powers around the world are set up. 3.8 billion in 2019, 3.8 billion of US tax dollars went to funding the Israel military. That's how and it's that's how zero dollars. Zero goes to Palestine. We need to frame that for everyone yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's around uh, what, 8 million dollars a day? Yeah. 8 million US dollars a day goes to fund the military occupation of Palestine, which is the longest military occupation in the history of the world. A day? Mm-hmm. A day. And Americans think it's not it's not our problem. But it actually it is very much it is absolutely very much our problem. Your tax dollars, your literal tax dollars. Yeah. We're going to do that. It's not only our problem, it's our destruction. It's our doing. Like it's our responsibility. Correct. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And and I think it's really important to frame for any listeners, like, it's really easy. Again, oh, this is what Mark Lamont Hill and Mitchell Flitnick <laughs> were talking about. I love uh, them. <laughs> um, they, they did a great job of, of discussing how it can be easy for progressives right now to blame Trump as the, um, what do they call it? The boogeyman. Okay. Yeah. Trump did not do this. This has been slowly happening over time under ev- every president since since the inception of what is currently this divided one state and then two territories. Um, and so when we're talking about fighting for justice for Palestine, we need to remember that there has never been justice for Palestinians. Mm. There is no like going back because back is bad all of that is is not good and all of that will not take care of everyone that is currently on the land because the only justice palestinians have ever known was before the inception of the state of israel so you know there is no going back because right now everybody's there everybody's there and we need to focus on just like caring for everybody and the fact is palestinians are not cared for under the law (laughs) so my question would be, what is our job? And I, I mean that, y- yes, to care for people and to care about this, but like, what do you all feel is our job next? You know, as Americans, as people, as part of this, is it, uh, is it part of the voting system? Is it, you know, am I lifting that question correctly? I, I want to like state on this podcast too, that like, I am, I know my ignorance and my shortcomings and like, I appreciate you all taking space because like you said, you all are not a monolith. And so the idea of like you all speaking, there's work that needs to be done as an advocate on my part. Um, so I guess my question is what what is the job to you know, to move to move the to move along, move the, the needle forward. The needle forward. Thank you. Yeah, I mean the voting voting aspect is huge. Finding the um it, you know, the local politics and, and finding the people that are willing to stand up for Palestinian rights 
and are willing to um, be open and vocal about that because that is, it's huge. Um, I also think the recognition of, how do I phrase this? This incredible thing happened when Ferguson um, happened where Palestinians reached out to the activists on the ground and they like it gave them tips and there was this conversation that was happening and it made me think about how so often we think we have to choose um, we, we have to choose these fights right but in reality if we're just fighting for the equality of everybody that's what the fight is and I think the recognition of that and to not make it about fighting for one rights over the other, but, but rather just the international fight for equality and to understand that and to speak up for that and to equate, like, to understand that the Palestinian got this way because of colonialism, much like a lot of the rest of the world. And the, the problems that they are facing are certainly problems that, uh, like the U.S., face because of colonialism. And understanding that and making the connections between the two so that it's not like a you're fighting for that versus this, but rather we're all fighting for the same fucking thing. We're all fighting for the equality and the rights for everybody, no matter where you are. And I think like fine, like honing in on that to me is is um, something that I, I wish more advocates would do. That's my piece. Did that make sense? <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to I need to echo that, Dana, because um, and also that's a really good question. Like, oh my gosh, what do we do? It can be so easy to be like, ah, new problem that I didn't know about. Fuck, wh- who do I follow on Instagram? What yeah. podcast do I listen to? Yeah. How do I be active? People are already doing the work. Now it's up to you to seek out those individuals, find that, find what's happening there. And see what you can do on the ground. There are so many grassroots organizations advocating for the rights of Palestinians here in the United States. Um, And, you know, something that I always advocate for, I'll just be the nerd of the room, y'all. Yes. Read a book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what I mean by that is read the books that make these connections. The one that I always tell people to read is, I brought them up since we brought up BLM. Um, Freedom is a constant struggle. Uh, Ferguson, Palestine, and the foundations of a movement. The reason this is so important is because we can't just work on the freedom of Palestinians. We have to work on the freedom of the black community here, the freedom of the indigenous people on this land, and the freedom of Palestinians. It is all the same struggle. And when we come together in solidarity, when Palestinians and people from here, the land of the Lenape, get together and say, how are our struggles the same? How do we honor this land? How do we, as people in America right now, honor the indigenous land that we are on? Because doing that is also helping Palestine. Mm. And understanding that all of those things are connected and being willing to accept that they are connected and continually advocate for justice of any marginalized person. Um, and also, yeah, the Black Power Movement in Palestine have always stood in solidarity with one another. Yeah. Uh, my man, my, my Muslim brother, Muhammad Ali, Allah yarhamah, like, 
he was someone who stood up for justice when he was demonized for it. I will remind you that when Cassius Clay converted to Islam and chose to be called Muhammad Ali, he was demonized. But when he stood up for Palestine, he was canceled. Why? Why is that? We have to get to the root of that. And I think right now, people are having that conversation and we're talking about it and we're figuring it out and we're going, okay, like, what do we do next? But at least we're there. That is as progressive as we've ever been. Yeah. yeah. So like, sit, sit in that feeling of like, uh, what do I do? And yeah. just like, you know, read the books, like the people on the gram, look it up, go to a webinar, um, listen to some podcasts, anything you can do that helps to enrich your mind, because that I think is the thing that ultimately influences and mobilizes the soul. That part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, what are the what are the questions? Yeah. Oh, well, just in response to that, because I think it is so important to like frame these things in context of how they're related to each other and not as isolated movements and not as isolated like incidents of the consolidation of power affecting people on a like deeply human and horrifying level. But I also want to encourage people to think of like to not need to contextualize a thing to which you have no like real like tangible connection in the framework of something that affects you or affects people you know to care about it. Mm. Like, I, I want to challenge people to, like, care about what's happening, even if it doesn't look anything like what's happening to people you know or what's happening to you. You know, like, that's, I think, the next step of empathy that we, as activists and as, as humans and as, you know, a global community need to achieve in order to, like, really help each other in a meaningful way. Because, like... There are certain things that I will never understand, and I, I can still care about the fact that they're happening to people and that they're causing pain to communities. Um, so that's, like, the, the context of how things are similar is so important to understand because it is what, it, it tells us a lot about the world that we live in and about how it's not actually as complex as we think it is, about how people are using power and weaponizing it in the same way constantly to hurt people, but, like, I, it's so complex. It's such a complex thing. I just wanted to like challenge people to be open to thinking about these things from a bunch of different levels, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's interesting too, because it's just also like empathy comes back to bias. And like, there is a biasness that is built, especially like thinking about again, Palestine, like there's a biasness that's built around how people can feel about the Palestinian history. So therefore, I'm allowed to feel less for this group. And I, I love that you brought up that point because I think that's also the burden, like the keeping the conversation prevalent and keeping the conversation at the forefront of the table versus putting it in the back, I think is yeah. so important. Because mm. it's, I, I hate the erased, the erasing of it, I guess is what makes me mad. And like, I am upset for everything going on. It's like this it's silencing the people speaking up for this and and just making it as if it's not important. And the thing is, it's just as important. Like, cause I also hate when we level out feeling things the same way, right? It's, again, it's like that all lives matter thing. It's like right now, Palestinian lives are matter because they aren't mattering. 
as opposed to just like human empathy. Yeah, I feel bad for your fucking house that burned down two years ago. But right now, like that Palestinian's home is burned down right now. And I have a fucking water hose. So I'm going to go blow it. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, like the idea of conversation being pushed towards it is where I hope that we move as people, like keeping conversation on it. Yeah, I mean, there, the, and to respond to that, I know there's, there has been so much fear about speaking about this simply just because um, people don't have the knowledge or they're scared because we have, uh, Arabs in general, have so often been, been viewed as terrorists. <laughs> and mm. because of that, there is a fear of talking about us. There is. There is a fear of talking about us. There's a fear of talking about um Palestinians because because of the fact that we have in the American media and in American politics we have very often been um shown as 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 terrorists. So there's there's there is an inherent fear I think that people have to push past and to educate themselves and to become a part of the conversation. Um so yeah. I have a question why are we giving so much money <laughs> like wh <laughs> why what what gain is the u.s getting from that have you ever looked at a map of the world and seen where the united states military bases are no that's a good place to, <laughs> to send the uh, send the viewers, I should say, um, because you know I'm gonna do it now. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's and understanding U.S. imperialism mm -hmm. is, I would say, the key to understanding that allyship. Um, the United States created an allyship with the. Uh, at the time, government of the state of Israel, um, and has continued to foster that relationship. Holy shit! Sorry, I just same <laughs> continue. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> if you if you've ever been like, what's wrong with the world? It is U.S. imperialism. <laughs> uh, essentially, when empires stop being a thing, and when. Uh, the League of Nations happened, and then they were like, okay, let's become the United Nations. Colonialism never actually ended. That never stopped. The Ottoman Empire fell. Um, is this the most? Is this like a huge just no. tangent? No, 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 no. Okay. I think no, 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 we need to talk about the 1900s and the Ottoman Empire falling, because that has, that has a lot to do with how the establishment of Palestine and Israel and all of that. Yeah, yeah. so the Ottoman Empire falls... And certain parts of what we're considering, um, I guess, what, uh, the Middle East and North Africa. Um, I call it Southwest Asia and North Africa. Um, certain uh, chunks of land, you know, went to different imperial powers, basically, to, like, take care of them. And the British mandate for Palestine happened, which was 20 years. And the British essentially controlled the land that we're currently talking about. This chunk of land that attaches Asia to um africa so basically not um, asia not asia hey, but... <laughs> not oh yeah sorry not asia hey asia hey. um but asia to uh yes to africa my sister. 
<laughs> um, so I think, I think that, that is something to be uh, evaluated. That is always something to be evaluated and something just for people to know. You know, you ever like learn something and you like, you see something and you, when you see it for the first time, you're like, oh, that's a problem. That's not <laughs> good. Um, I would say U.S. imperialism is definitely uh, a really, a really, you know, key factor. The Philippines, Puerto Rico, mm, yeah. Hawaii, the United States itself. Like it's, um, yeah. it's pretty uh daunting yeah does that answer your question at all <laughs> it it yes and it gives a really great it like points me in a direction of like how to even learn more about it which is like oh you know what, what? We talking about with educating ourselves like that is big can i shout out this one can yeah. i shout out this shout book out for as listeners many what? books as you want um, yeah, at the end of the podcast, just a 10 minute list of me being like, read this book. I'm 85 years old. You're an influencer of plugs. I, for those of y'all at home, Leanne has been lifting up books and presenting them as she talks. It literally looks like Vanna White, but like not Vanna. But you know what? I first, I love that you're saying that. I feel very lifted up by that. Sometimes I feel very ashamed of being like, oh, I have a book on that. And people are like, why do you read books? Um, <laughs> this book, Justice for Some by Noura Arafat, uh, is an incredible look at the, histor- the history of the law and how it has functioned around this issue that we're calling Palestine and how Palestine has actually sort of constantly slipped through the law because first the British and then now America continually uses its veto power on the United Nations Security Council to block anything from a legislative perspective to create a Palestinian state. And because that's been going on for so long, And now on top of what we had, which was the state of Israel, the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, um, the government has continually annexed more portions of the West Bank and are still doing it right now. Against international law. Against all international law. But because Palestine falls in a crack of international law, which this book makes you understand every single juncture every point in time in which it was further and further wedged down sort of in this world of lawlessness. Um, By examining that and seeing how that government has continually generated more and more settlements within the West Bank, meaning they create these settlements, you know, villas, okay? And then people get to live in them uh, and are protected by the government. They send a tank, they send... They send the army and they protect those settlements that are illegally built within chunks of the West Bank. If you look at a picture of the West Bank right now, you would see all of these weird clusters. There's almost like little chunks. And what that is, is this thing called Area A. Now, this is a very long-winded way of saying (laughs) that these chunks in the West Bank are the only chunks that are actually operated as Palestine. Even the parts in between those chunks are operated and occupied by the Israeli army. 
So if you want to go from Nablus, which is where my family is from, very proudly from Nablus, just outside of Nablus, Beit Wazen, um, if you want to go from there and you want to drive to Ramallah, you have to drive on roads that are occupied by Israel to drive from one Palestinian town to another Palestinian town. And it's like, we know why military occupations happen. It's a slow erasure and slow pushing of indigenous people out. And when, I, when you bring up that, most people who are like, well, I don't know how to feel about this conflict. When people hear that, they're like, oh, that's, that's definitely not good. And it's like, yeah, dude, not only is it not good, but you have Palestinians and Israelis alike saying, I don't want I don't that want to this. be the reality. Yeah. 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 So, like yeah. Palestine yeah, yeah. It's is like the redlining. Red yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. That's exactly that. Yeah. And then I like I start to figure I start to think about how um the children I mean it's like heartbreaking, you know? Um the parallel that I always think about, which continually just baffles me, is you know here in the United States how people protest the school to prison pipeline? Mm-hmm. And how it is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And we've had scientists be like, no, this is definitely a real thing. We need to stop doing this to children. What do children learn when there is a cop at the door in school? What do they learn when they're walking through a metal detector and being treated as criminals? If you go to Palestine, you go to Khalil, you go to, you go to Hebron, and you see the continual dehumanization of children and mothers and families who are treated every day, just going about their lives as though they are criminal, as though they are unwanted on their indigenous land. It is like one of the most baffling things I've ever seen. And so the fact that people are at least talking about like indigenous struggles here on occupied land here in America and now are equating it to that struggle in Palestine. Like you said, Tina, I appreciate it. You're like, uh, shouldn't have to happen to you for you to care about it. <laughs> but that's just one more way that I always draw this parallel, which is like understanding that like that is the life for everyone there. And we're just sort of like letting it happen and funding the occupation that's doing it. Yeah. I mean, yes to all of that. And I, I <laughs> to to answer, I think to simply answer your question, Asia, Oh, it goes back to what Mark Lamont Hill said about how America doesn't have allies. It has interests. Yeah. It has interests. And there, there, historically, there were interests um, that Israel could provide for America that continued the, the partnership that they have. And that's kind of how it is in all of, what did you call it, Leanne? South Asia? Southwest Asia, South, maybe. Yeah. Fuck the Middle East. Southwest Asia. South Asia is my my people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, listen, the regular South Asia is mine. Asia. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What other questions? Oh, I had one. (laughs) (laughs) Give me another one. Throw another one at me. Mark Lamont Hill was just fired from CNN right. for speaking out against what the Israeli occupation is doing. So, um, and the reasoning behind that is because there's been so much flare up about that being anti-Semitic. So we wanted to briefly talk about that and get it out of the way because it's kind of a different conversation, but it is part of the conversation. Um, 
we had spoken about how you know citizens of of the united states are, are generally fearful of talking about this subject for a variety of reasons and one of those reasons is being called anti-semitic mm. and the two have um i should plug this book this book is really good plug um, it. <laughs> it is by mark lamont hill and his um partner in writing the book land do you remember his name <laughs> It's Land Mitchell visual. Mitchell Plitnik. He's an incredible <laughs> activist here in the United States. And also, I think he's the... Fo- Let me see here. Mitchell Plitnik, yes, is the... Um, he he uh, worked for Jewish Voice for Peace for some time and also for B'Tselem here in the USA, which is um, one of the leading organizations that advocates for the rights of Palestinians and Israelis on the land we are talking about. Uh, it's an Israeli organization um, that fosters, uh, yeah, Palestinian excellence. Yeah. Um, uh, the book is great, and it's a good start to talking about um, why for so long progressives and liberals um, are... Uh, so hesitant to speak about the rights of Palestinians. And a large part of that, as we saw with Ilhan Amar, um, my Omar sister, not really, but I kind of want her to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, as we saw with Ilhan um, and other with Mark, with other people who um, talk about Palestinian and Palestinian rights and how uh, the immediate response is anti-Semitism or... Um, and... and I want to say that I, I as an activist, am am fighting for all rights, and um, the discussion of the rights of Palestine. I, I, I have had this conversation where all I am speaking about are the rights of Palestinians. That's it. That's all I'm talking about. But the response and the and the the response that that has been. Um, historically a response that really kind of shuts people up um, is telling that other person that they're anti-Semitic because they are criticizing Israel. But the conversation, uh, talking about parallels, the conversation is a lot like when we're talking about America and we're, we're criticizing America and the response to that is, well, you're, and you're not patriotic. You're, you don't love this country. And uh, the two are not equal <laughs> they're not the same conversation like it's it, we're not we're not I, i'm not once did i even say anything about um israelis or or israel itself the discussion constantly is just these people need help they need help they need rights they need to not lo- like it's really hard not to get emotional about this because day in and day out, they're just treated so poorly. And to to want to to advocate for their rights and to have the response be, well, you're you you just don't like these other group of people. No, that's not it. Like and that hurts too, because it's just like, well, you don't fucking know me. You don't like I I'm I'm like, I fight for equality for everybody. Sorry. I did not mean to do Don't this. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, don't apologize. It's really, really difficult because it, it, the, that type of response shuts, shuts the other side up. 
and anti-Semitism is is a really terrible problem and it, and with the rise of authoritarian leaders it, it has become you know the resurgence of it is awful and it's something that we absolutely have to look out for um, so history doesn't repeat itself but we also have to differentiate what it is and fighting for rights for all um, that's sorry <laughs> no don't be sorry that's my yeah. long winded answer um to that question i guess i don't even know if i answered it but those are my thoughts yeah i basically agree with uh everything that dana said uh it is really easy to use to weaponize anti-semitism against people who are speaking for the rights of palestinians and i think that is one of the reasons that Palestinians have been subjected to the longest military occupation in the history of the world. It is really easy to weaponize when in reality, Palestinians are deserving of life. And Palestinians need to be centered. Like we talk about centering uh, the black experience when we're talking about policing, what we were talking about earlier. Like we talk about centering indigenous, uh, indigenous experiences across this land and how you don't look to the American government to solve indigenous struggle here. It has to be solved usually a lot from within and then legislated, right? So when people weaponize that against me, which of course it's happened for uh, my entire life, uh, which is very hard. I have family that's Jewish. I have family that lives in Israel. I have family that lives in Palestine. Um, I think, I think it's really fucked up that there are so many. And, and mind you, I am not a Jewish person, so I don't like to speak about what is anti-Semitic, what isn't anti-Semitic. Like you, you have the right to not like anything someone says about you or the people that you feel um, kindred to connected to that being said why is it whenever someone says oh we need to end the blockade on Gaza someone says oh you're an anti-semite mm. all that does is focus attention on someone who is advocating for rights of Palestinians and not focus attention on people who are literally generating despicable acts of violence and of destruction here in the United States against Jewish people. And the fact that we are spending all of this time, oh, I'm gonna search, I'm gonna search Instagram, I'm gonna find this way and I'm gonna, I'm gonna comment on Mark Lamont Hill's Instagram, I'm gonna tell him that he's an anti-Semite. Well, maybe that amount of, maybe that amount of, of care should be taken to actually ensuring that we are dismantling anti-Semitism across the world because it is rampant. But to equate that with the struggle for freedom for Palestinians is like, you're not focusing on people who don't have rights right now. That's all we're talking about. Palestinians deserve to walk on their land. Palestinians are deserving of the right of return and Palestinians are deserving of liberation and are deserving of equal protection under the law. I don't know how that could possibly be considered anti-Semitic 
And also, there are, I mean, I have two best friends who are, who are Jewish, who passionately advocate for the rights of Palestinians, passionately. One who is an Israeli Jew um, of Arab descent, and one who is an American Jew who has family in Israel. And so when people say they're anti-Semitic and that they are self-hating somehow, I also feel very pained for them because that is an experience that no one should have, especially when it comes to advocating for equal protection under the law. Yeah. The question, yeah. you know, the question often is, uh, and the question that we have to ask ourselves, because I've, I've had this conversation with um, people who have circumstantial equality or, or circumstantial um, views on equality. And when they're arguing with me about um, freeing Palestine, they don't even see Palestinians as, as people. And they don't equate the equality, the fight for equality that we have here with um, the fight for equality there. When we say we want rights for Palestinians, it doesn't mean that we're taking away your rights. It does not, the, when we say Black Lives Matter, it does not mean that your life matters any less. It is just centering the argument so that these people can get, you know, basic rights so that they can live. Like, uh, <sighs> it's as simple as that. It's as, is, is the... Uh, Centering the conversation about one group of people does not mean that it is taking away from anybody else. And that is something that we have to talk about all the time, but just with activism in itself. You know, if you center the conversation about one group of people, does not mean that anything else is any less true or that we're taking anything from you. <laughs> like, Palestinian that, lives matter. Yeah. Not more. We're not even saying as much. We're just saying at all. Yeah, just like at all. at all. And that's a conversation. Like having that conversation with Americans too is like, how do you not see the parallel? <laughs> how do you not see that? Well, because Hamas. Right. Because terrorism. Right. The and then we're back to the yeah. square one, right? Right. You know, right. you know, this might be a fun thing for listeners to know. Uh, Okay, I'm going to play a game since we're all on, like, vocal. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine the first thing that I say. A terrorist. Open your eyes. What was he wearing? I'll go. Uh, I am wearing a white t-shirt and jeans and converse. Wearing camouflage with a gun strapped to his body and like those like fucking motorcycle glasses that are orange on his forehead. Mm -hmm. I actually saw a scene from a Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie that I got real mad about where they, I mean, I can't even remember what it's called. I was so mad about it, but where they were positioning men of color as terrorists and like forwarding that narrative and it was made like two years ago mm -hmm. or maybe last year. <laughs> and for any listener out there who also happened to imagine like a dude wearing like a, a white scarf that has like a black checkered pattern on it, 
It's kind of like houndstooth, but it looks really scary. Um, it's called a kafiya. It's a traditional Arab scarf, and it's a symbol of Palestinian resistance. Uh, the first time that people saw that scarf was during the first Intifada, when Palestinians were like, enough is enough, and they took to the streets, and it did get violent, period. And, you know, that scarf became a symbol of resistance to some people and then here in the united states we used it as a costume piece yeah oh yeah and we started showing people younger and younger fighting for justice who are throwing rocks at literal tanks and we're calling those little kids terrorists and it's really funny when i think about like you know and we're talking about imperialism and imperialism cannot happen without guns and without violence that has always been the case. That was the case to create the United States. That was the case to enslave human beings and bring them here from the entire continent of Africa. Uh, and we have to remember that right now when we're talking about occupation, we are talking about some people in full military gear with automatic rifles in tanks, literally driving through towns and then we're talking about some people who are literal children, some 17-year-olds, throwing rocks and slingshots. And what those kids are doing is illegal. And what those kids are doing, those are the pictures that end up on the news here. And so we equate this terrorist narrative to Palestinians because it benefits us as the United States. Mm -hmm. right. It goes right? back to our interests. It goes back yeah. to our interests. And so... So often when people are like, um, you know, uh, what about, what about like these anti-Palestinian narratives? We really need to understand how deep that goes and how like the treatment of like Muslim people and Arab people and Swana people en masse, that demonization and uh, perpetuation of like terrorist narratives is rooted in anti-Palestinian racism. Right. So, you know, it's like a sad thing, but it's also like now we know and we can recognize that and we can all actually understand and unlearn those things and be able to like educate ourselves and call people in to the conversation. Because I think the problem with this is so often people are like, what side are you on? And it's like, homie, no, we got to have a talk. Because right now, you and I are on the same side. You and I are in a bar on the east side, like, <laughs> having a beer. We're not fighting. Inshallah. But, but inshallah, ya Allah, ya kareem. Ya but, Allah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's so easy to make this about, oh, let's have a fight. I'm right, you're wrong. You're right, I'm wrong. People are suffering. People do not deserve to suffer, especially in the place that we call the Holy Land. You make me think about, I think it's really important when you meet people to have, to understand like what you're having a conversation over. Like, I think questions are important. Like when you want to know something, don't ask what, ask why, you know? And if you want to know mm -hmm. where something is, you ask where, not what is it? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in listening to this today, it's like, are we talking about humanity or are we talking about tradition? Like that isn't for like y'all to answer, but I think like so many times you all are meeting people with humanity are we meet people with humanity and they follow it up with what tradition has been, what mm -hmm. always is. And we can't have the same conversation if you're trying to tell me a pattern 
and yeah. I'm trying to show you heart. Yeah, that part. And maybe it's, um, you know, if you find yourself in this conversation with somebody, maybe it's leading with that. Maybe it's it's clarifying what the conversation should be as opposed to what it has been and what we get caught up in versus mm. what, it sh- what it should be now. Yes, it has been. Pick a side. There are sides. Rawr, rawr, rawr. And it's really like, okay, let's deal with what's in front of us now. Yes, learn the history. Learn the history. Read all the books. Do it. I insist. But also, <laughs> what's happening in front of us right now? Because we're talking about something that happened in 1967, and there are still <laughs> one and a half million people who are living in refugee camps. Let's deal with that and not not worry about all of this stuff that you and I, we could have a geopolitical talk all day, but it it doesn't change the fact that we are fighting for rights of human beings. And I think that is ultimately the shift that's happening right now. What we're talking about right now is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because to be frank, there are so many people that say this. One state, two state, three state, 12 states. I want every human being there to be treated with equal protection under the law. And Palestinians must be afforded the right of return. Also, mm-hmm. say goodbye to the apartheid wall and end the occupation on Palestine. That yeah, part. That, that part, sis. All of that. that part, sis. All of that. You know? But so often people are like, just end the occupation and we're good to go. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not going to solve anything. And we have to remember that there are millions of Israelis that are advocating for the same thing. Yeah, there are a lot of people on our side that are are, are critical of Israel and critical of Netanyahu and as well they should be. Um. Yikes. You just said not sides, but I, I wanted I wanted to express that there are are a lot of my Israeli and Jewish um, people, friends, loved ones that are absolutely fighting for for us, for sure. And I want to before I just want to simply say that, like, you know, the reason that I'm writing the pilot that I'm writing, the reason that I uh, want to advocate for stories that are told is because like we talked about with representation with Tina, how we talked about empathy, there is a, a strong push politically to not have our stories told because they know that it humanizes us. Mm. And that means that we have been dehumanized, whether it's conscious bias or unconscious bias. In this country, we have been dehumanized. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I think a lot of people should sit with too because it, it it certainly deals with the activist work of finding what your unconscious biases are but it is it is the reason that we need to tell more stories more palestinian stories specifically so that you can we can show ourselves and show that we're not a monolith that we're not terrorists that we're not you know not, not all these things that the media has has forced you to believe that we are um and it also shows that, that there has been a strong political force to not have our stories told. So something else that you can do is advocate for stories like ours to be told so that we can open the empathy door for the public so that more people understand what, um, you know, what the issues are. There's so much more I feel like that we could talk about, but I feel like that's an amazing a place to just like leave people who are listening. Like, 
We'll put resources in our link tree um, on the podcast link tree, uh, which is linked in our Instagram at We The People Present, um, of uh, like links to all of the books that we brought up today, links to Mayor, the documentary that Dana um, talked about, and that which Leanne uh, told I watched me to watch today. <laughs> Sorry, hmm? I have to I have to give her credit. Leanne told me to watch it. <laughs> oh hell yeah! <laughs> Look at that. Um, fucking ruled and and some podcast episodes too um that dana had sent us earlier in the week um just like for more context and to get some different voices saying a lot of kind of the same the same stuff um and just kind of adding more context and more depth um but yeah thank oh thank you so much yeah, this was thank so you Lan. amazing Thank yeah, you for yeah. having me. It has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate your patience with my continual um, sentences. I, I tend to speak with only commas and get very enraged. So um, <laughs> I appreciate your patience. Have you met? That's yeah, pretty normal to us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in. This is We the People, where we like to keep it fresh, funky, and always unfiltered. Till next time. Oh my god, my radiator's going crazy. I'm so sorry. It sounds like there's like it's an old man and some baked beans over here. Yes, baked beans. <laughs> We're so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so hungry. <laughs> Baked beans.